0: All right, well, it is uh, 7 p.m., so we will start uh, start rolling here with our Bible study. We'll, looks like we have a little bit of a, s- a smaller crowd tonight. I don't know if people are uh, maybe stuck in traffic, uh, but that's an opportunity to get a little bit more participation. A little bit smaller crowd means you can talk a little bit more. I want to reiterate uh, some of the comments made before of, like, if you're somebody who doesn't necessarily comment a lot, you tend to be quiet in class, challenge would be share your thoughts with us. Uh, We want to get some of that insight from you. Um, You may see something in the text that is exactly the thing that somebody else needs to hear. So we want to get uh, comments from everybody and kind of really make this a group uh, discussion. Um, We're going to be in chapter three tonight and kind of the way we'll structure this is Um, We'll take probably the first 10 minutes of class and just give people an opportunity to kind of sit with the text, read through it, um, mark it up. Hopefully most people have um, access to to these or have a Bible that you're comfortable uh, writing in. And then we will kind of break up our discussion in three different sections and uh, talk about the text together as a class once we've had a chance to uh, look at it quietly. All right, uh, before we jump into that, uh, let's have a prayer real quick. Would you bow with me? Father, we're grateful for this time that we have tonight to study your word together. Pray that you would bless us to have open minds and open hearts, to be seeking after you, to want to know more about who you are. We ask that you would help us to focus our minds and lay aside worldly cares, and that you would help us to to see your word truthfully without the tint of our own bias so that we would be changed by what it says rather than changing it to fit what we think it says, that we would be looking to see who you really are and conform ourselves to your image, Father. We thank you. We praise you. And it's in Christ's most holy name we pray. Amen. All right, so... uh, Like I said, we will be in chapter three. Let's probably take until, um, yeah. Oh, sorry. I thought somebody said something. Um, Let's probably take until uh, 7.10 and just kind of go through this, um, look at it, see what you see, and then we'll uh, regroup in just a few minutes and talk about it. Yeah, whole chapter three. I don't like to do the little, little chunky things. So you can do, look at the whole chapter three and then we'll discuss it in chunks, but look at the whole chapter to start. All right, hopefully that was enough time for everybody to Get a good look at that and kind of sit with that for a little bit. By the way, if you're visiting with us, we're in Daniel. I don't remember if I said that or if I was just like, we're in chapter 3. So hopefully you figured out where we are one way or another. Um, What I'd like to do is kind of break this down into uh, chunks as far as our discussion goes. So first, I kind of want to hear just what you guys think about uh, verses 1 through 7. What kind of sticks out to you in those first seven verses? What did you notice?
1: To me, it's the size of the statue, 19 big
0: statue. Yeah, okay, so what's the, maybe, the significance of the size of the statue? Like, why does it matter that it's big? I just think back to the dream, that it
1: was, that it was a great statue of the dream. Was really big, the statue, the
0: okay, yeah, so maybe there's a connection uh, to the dream. I have some thoughts about that, we'll circle back to that, yeah. yeah. Like, the size of the statue seems to correlate with the message of power. By making the statue larger, he's trying to communicate, my uh, my idol is bigger, my God is bigger, you know, the idea of power in this statue. What else do you notice? Yeah, Julie. Yeah, the statue's all gold. Um, what do you guys... Think about that. I have some ideas about that, but I want to hear what You don't think it would stand? You think the gold's it would:
1: not strong enough material, all together, all.
0: Yeah, I imagine this is probably you like, to be
1: overlaid.
0: yeah, overlaid with gold, but to the eye, it appears to be gold from head to toe. So what do you all think about that? Yeah, Rachel.
1: bring his kingdom to this place where it has that same, same
0: strength and consistency to it and kind of go against kind of that Yeah, so it, it's kind of interesting that this statue shows up right <coughs> after the chapter where Nebuchadnezzar has a, had a dream of another statue and that that statue has some gold elements as well, right? And in, in the dream, the head of the statue is gold and Daniel... Uh, tells Nebuchadnezzar the interpretation is the gold head is representative of you Nebuchadnezzar and your empire and then all these other like sections of the statue below that are not gold those are symbolic of empires that are going to come after your kingdom. So to me it's interesting that he then goes and makes this statue that not only has a gold head but also is gold from head to toe as if to say well you know, I don't really like the idea that My empire is going to come to an end, and then there's going to be other kingdoms coming after me. Let me kind of rewrite this dream here and build my version of it that's just all gold. It's all Nebuchadnezzar. Is that why Nebuchadnezzar built this statue? We don't know. The text doesn't say that. So for me to assert that that's exactly why he's building this statue, uh, that's probably a reach from an objective standpoint. But... I think it's interesting that it follows on the heels of that previous story. Maybe some of that is what's going on. Um, what else do you notice in the first seven verses?
1: It also falls on the heels of him bowing down and paying homage to David and saying, your God is just the God of gods. And then now, okay, now I've got this God and now I'm going to spat out to this one. But the mindset could be a couple of different.
0: Yeah, so uh, you said the mindset could be a couple of different things. Like, elaborate on that. What do you think is going on? I
1: mean, part of it could be wanting to take back his authority. <laughs> sure. Like, oh, well, I, maybe people saw me pay hey, homosexuals, so I need to make sure he place me back on top. It's one of my thoughts. It um, be that he's uh, simply just doing it because he's still confused, right? Clearly, he gets some of it recognizing God, but it's still there's oh, we know there's lots of gods, and <coughs> a, like, this is a really big one. It's a,
0: yeah, whatever the case is, it seems like it hasn't sunk in for Nebuchadnezzar yet that God is God and he's not. <laughs> um, Josh, you had a comment.
1: It's interesting that all of the officials are here, but only Shadrach and Meshach are called out, Meshach and Abednego. Daniel isn't called out for not bowing, But Daniel is one of these higher up officials, so he should be there too. But yeah. he's not called out on the carpet for
0: this. Yeah, and I don't know why uh, that is. I'd be curious to hear if anybody has any any thoughts. Um, the only thing I could think of is either he's he's not there. Uh, it seems likely that probably not literally every person who had a position of authority was uh, at this this uh, whatever uh, statue worship event because then you'd have nobody like running your empire. Uh, but it, it is also, I guess, within the realm of possibility that Daniel doesn't stand with uh, his friends in this instance. The, f- the first instance seems more likely just based on what we know about Daniel and his character, but w- we're not really told why, where he is or why he's not there. Um, I don't know if anybody has any thoughts about that, but Julie, did you go up? Unless accepts Daniel
1: from some stuff, because he's more at- Okay, yeah, that's also a
0: possibility. Maybe Daniel kind of gets a pass. I don't know.
1: Uh, But if he was there, you would expect him to say something. Right, which
0: makes me think he's probably doing something else in this scenario. And so for that reason, it seems like the blame gets lumped on Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who are the guys who are are standing up. What else do you notice? Yeah.
1: I was thinking of how the reason why Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego Here's a test. Are you go back to your
0: ways? Are you be God and not worship an idol? Yeah. Love that connection of idolatry is historically a problem for the Israelites. And that's how these guys got to this situation. Uh, Michael, you had a comment? His, his
1: insecurity kind of bleeds through here. And I guess I just never really thought about that. It's like immediately, if you don't bow down, you're done. And it just makes you think about God how many people like reject him daily and he's still patient with them and giving them time every
0: single day. Whereas this guy's like, you don't do it instantly, I'm done with you. You're going to the furnace. Yeah. I like that that correlation between the way that Nebuchadnezzar asserts his authority versus the way that God asserts his authority. Because Nebuchadnezzar also isn't looking for genuine uh, submission, right? He wants you to do the act. And as long as you're like doing the outward signs that make him look good, he, doesn't, he isn't really concerned with the hearts of these people. It doesn't seem like there's any expectation that people are abandoning whatever other gods they may be worshipped. He just wants them to worship this image that he's created. And so I think that uh, connection between the difference of his heart and his kind of very uh, rule by like fear and brutality approach, great contrast to the way that, that God uh, exerts his authority. What else? Do you have a comment? I was
2: gonna say that I so
0: okay. <laughs> Yeah.
2: I've noticed that three times it says that he erected it, just God's driving at home that Nebuchadnezzar was the source of this statue of this god yeah that 's a great
0: point there 's uh, several times throughout the text it, it emphasizes the fact that this is something that Nebuchadnezzar set up, so it 's kind of the opposite of the way it should be right like if this is such a powerful God shouldn 't this God be the one creating people in the other in the inversion? Nebuchadnezzar, just a guy, has created this big statue, and you can kind of see intuitively like this this is really illogical, Nebuchadnezzar like you 're worshipping a thing that you have made. <laughs> Something's not right here. Um, any other thoughts on verses 1 through 7? I think one thing that I would emphasize uh, before we get into the next section, this this isn't just about um, like patriotism or like bringing people together. This is about idol worship. And I think it's interesting that he brings together all of these uh, rulers and are particularly that it mentions all the peoples, nations, and language groups. And that, to me, kind of gives the impression that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do something here where he's bringing together all the people who are in charge of all of these different people that he's conquered and forcing them into a situation where it says, hey, remember who's in charge, me, Nebuchadnezzar. And so this isn't just about, like, This isn't like they're, you know, singing the national anthem, like they're being forced to worship and pay homage to this this God that is all about really Nebuchadnezzar's power and dominance and him basically being on par with God. Um, And that's kind of where this seems to be flowing from, is him asserting his dominance over uh, the people that he has conquered and kind of asserting in some way his uh, deity. All right, so for the sake of time, let's move on to the next kind of longer section. Um, let's talk about eight, maybe 8 through 23, this kind of interaction with uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Nebuchadnezzar. Um, and I'll give you guys, like, dealer's choice on if you want to use their Babylonian names or, or Hebrew names. Um, I'm going to get confused if I try to, like, commit too hard, so, you know, it's up to you. Um, but what do you notice in kind of this middle section, 8 through 23, uh, what sticks out?
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know why this sticks out to me, but the part that always kind of tickled me when they say uh, they declared the king, Nebuchadnezzar, the oh, whole king lived forever like he was immortal. I mean, obviously that was the image he wanted to portray, that godlike image. I guess he expected people to, to accept. Of Camelot, a lot of the pharaohs did were I guess they were also treated as deities, even the Roman emperors But that reminds me, you see that a lot of history over and over again It's punctuated with rulers who try to take on this mantle of deity, and that's what I see here—the way they're treating him or best thing that has Yeah,
0: it seems like they're kind of butter, trying to butter him up with that appeal to his sense of being some sort of divine figure, divine ruler, live forever, you're, you're eternal, you're immortal, uh, offering to him praise and honor that isn't something that he as a, as a man is worthy to receive. What else, Michael?
1: Kind of following You know, Nebuchadnezzar is so great and deserves to be honored. I can't believe, like, I'm offended that you're not worshiping him. It's, you know, we just want them to, to suffer. It's a, it's a malicious intent for the purpose of getting them thrown in the fire furnace.
0: Yeah, the people that are uh, following Nebuchadnezzar are people who are seem to be pretty motivated by self-interest. And you can maybe uh, see why these guys would be... Uh, interested in getting rid of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego because they're people who have come from a conquered nation and now they've risen to a a position of pretty high authority. You can understand how these guys who are evidently not very nice would be, kind of have it out to try and get them. Um, What else? Yeah. I'd like to think about all the things that God
2: could have done and his wisdom and the way he did uh, handle this situation. For example, when the Ark of the Covenant was put in the House of the God, on. and God made the image fall down and eventually broke <coughs> it. He could have just taken a mighty wind and swept Nebuchadnezzar and the image into the fire and melted, but he didn't choose to do it that way. And I think it's, he certainly had power and he could do whatever he wanted. I think it's interesting that he gave these three
1: men a chance <coughs> to do something really roll, And I guess he knew they could.
0: Yeah, there's a lot of nuance to the way that. Uh, God deals with the situation, and He is very active about working through uh, through His people, not just kind of um, shooting lightning bolts down from the sky. Right? He's He's giving an opportunity to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to display their faith, but also to give Him glory and, and work for Him. Um, what else? Yeah. Yeah. So throughout, I like that you bring that up, kind of that theme throughout, um, throughout Daniel, things that God can do that, that other gods can't, other people can't. Is That's kind of the theme of Daniel, is God showing his power, particularly over Babylon and over these other kingdoms, showing that he is the one that's in control, not them. Jacob, do you have a comment?
2: Is an example that I think when uh, Hebrews talks about people of whom the world is not worthy. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar and Babylon certainly not worthy of these young men. How much easier you know, it seems that our lives are, what we face today, uh, how we should you know, honor that commitment as much as they did. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Mara, did you have a comment?
2: To that, Jacob, verse 18, but if not, so powerful to me. <clears throat> we pray for things to come to pass, but we need to also say, "But if not, we will serve. We will die serving God." Um, I feel like that's so powerful. Um, another thing I noticed was verse 15, how Nebuchadnezzar kind of challenges them like children. But if you're ready, go ahead and bow down. That was.
0: Yeah, it seems almost like he, he is kind of trying to, like, publicly put them in their place. Like, all right, now, you guys you guys want to try this again? You want to ha- have a second chance? Because he believes that they're going to be like, you're right, sorry, like, we're going to bow down. Like, we really would rather not be incinerated. And that's not how they respond. Um, what, what sticks out to you particularly about their response?
1: He had a political problem he's supposed to be king, he appointed these three people and has given him a lot of power. And if the power people don't do what he tells them, what are the rest of them to do?
0: Yeah, I think that's a great... Uh,
1: so he was forced to do something. Yeah, I think that's
0: a good point, kind of cycling back to, I think Michael said about his insecurity. Right, of, he's very afraid of losing his power, right? And he doesn't seem to have a very uh, confident hold on it because any kind of threat that there is to his power, he's got to rule with an iron fist and make sure that he puts people in his place rather than uh, or in contrast to God, I think, who is as secure in his power as you can get and doesn't need to uh, rule with an iron fist. In fact, does the opposite in this scenario and gives Nebuchadnezzar a chance to observe the way that he's wrong. So yeah, I think that's great to point out that Nebuchadnezzar is really trying to figure this out. How how can he hold on to his political power and make sure that everybody else is listening to him? What sticks out to you particularly about uh, the response of of Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego?
2: Daniel. Well, it was no... No they didn't try to say, oh, well,
1: I'll you stay, or, you know, we, we really just, uh, do this and, and so
0: this Yeah. And this is also the second time that this has been brought up because there's the first incident where all the music goes, and I have to imagine they're kind of prepping for that and they're like, All right, like we're gonna be in this situation, everybody's gonna bow down. We know that that's wrong and we're not gonna bow down. And so they do that. And then they get brought before Nebuchadnezzar and he gives them a chance to kind of get out of it and backtrack and they stick to their guns again. And they still are, there's no hesitation about where their conviction lies. Yeah, what else? Yeah.
1: It's a direct challenge. Yeah, absolutely. So he has to either or Yeah, absolutely.
0: What else? Yeah.
2: It's like, what's not said to me here. like, like there's, there's no explaining. Like, listen, if you just hear us out, listen about what happened in Egypt, you know, like, planes and the, the miracles and all this stuff, like, there's no there's no trying to find a way. And it was the same experience with uh, not even It was like, there's no trying to rationalize the way out of the situation. It like, was this hard line that would not be crossed that's what we're going to do. no, so, there's just this whole, brazen, not trying to get out of the scenario at all. It's just so admirable. We're a very rational thing to do here would be to try to get him to understand, see it from my perspective, you know. But if this if this is how it's going to be, then that's how it is going to be. Yeah. And they just accept that so boldly, <coughs> zero attempt to rationalize.
0: Yeah, I love that you brought that up. That was one of the things that stuck out to me too is they don't they don't try to bargain, they don't try to back out of it, but they also aren't trying to like talk him into their way of thinking. They're not like sitting here being like Right, like, look, if you'll turn, like, back to Genesis, we can kind of start there, and we'll, we'll explain to you about who God is and why we can't bow down, that Leviticus is going to get kind of complicated, but if you'll just listen to us and let us explain this, you'll, you'll see our, our way of thinking. They're just kind of in this situation that's like, yep, yeah, like, that's cool, we will go in the furnace. Because it seems like what they're focused on is just showing their faith and living it out, rather than trying to uh, argue with him about why they are right. And that, in this scenario, seems to be a lot more effective than if they had tried to rationalize with him. They're just trying to live it. And that is convicting to Nebuchadnezzar. Belinda, do you have a comment?
2: This just adds a little bit more to that, but when, when Nebuchadnezzar asked them, now, who is that? Who is, who is the God? Who is that God? That they didn't say, like oh, you said, that, they didn't say, that, but let me tell you about it. They just said, we don't need to give you that could have been really seen as insubordinate. <laughs> they're not even answering his question. They're saying, they know what they're going to do, and they're making their statement, and then they're done. Yeah, and I love that you
0: bring out that uh, he asked that question, because that kind of frames everything else that, that happens. He asked this question, Who, who's the God that is going to deliver you from this? And that kind of sets up the answer to that question throughout this story. What else?
1: Yeah.
2: Um, well, it is in con- his statement there is in contrast to what he said in chapter 2. where He said, certainly your God is a God of gods and the Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. And it's like, no. But he's like, oh, but he can't rescue you from me. <laughs> you know, he, it's still, he, he didn't, it's like he was trying to, you know, do this, and say, Oh, your gun's are so great before. But but still and I mean with directing the statue, I feel like maybe in response to the statue where he was only a part of the statue, it's like, okay, yeah, your God's good, but is he better than me? It's like he's trying to fight this power struggle.
0: Yeah. I and I like that you bring that up because I think that parallels um one of the heart problems that we can struggle with a lot of the time, right? Where we can be like, God is my life. God is my priority, my conviction. He's the one that I serve above anything else. But kind of when the rubber meets the road, like I'm, I'm pretty smart and I kind of know what I would like to do and I'm probably gonna go with that. And like we will say, say that we're 100% convicted about following God, but we'll kind of hold back a little bit and be like, yeah, he's, he's like right up there, but like I'm just like a little bit more important and Like I, I just think I just have a little bit more perspective on like how to handle this situation. That seems to be Nebuchadnezzar's problem. He's becoming more convinced of God's power, but he hasn't really gotten to the point where he's like, no, God, God is above me. Um, what else? Julie, did you have a comment? Yeah, he seems to have some serious anger issues because he gets angry. We're three chapters in. He's gotten angry a lot. And his typical reaction when he gets angry is like painful death. Like he's always like, I'm going to burn you. I'm going to like dismember you and like turn your homes to rubble. Even even at the end of this, he's like dismembering people and turning them to rubble. Um, so he really seems to have some issues with like su- submitting. Uh, Allison, do you have a comment?
2: So he also, he does, they similarly here to what Daniel did at uh, the stack of the food which he allowed they allow God the opportunity to show up and show his power. It reminds me of the showdown with Elijah the 450 50 prophets of Baal It's like Elijah doesn't get into this argument with Ahab. He just sets up an opportunity for God to show them how much greater he is than their gods who are off on vacation or that or whatever they're doing, right? And so they set this opportunity up too. And and the cool thing is, God can show up and they say this in their statement, whether he preserves them or not, which I think is super powerful, um, getting back to that. But if not, I think that part is so impactful that, you know, like in Philippians, either life or death, gain both ways for
0: them. Yeah, I I like that. Um. The idea that they're not—they're not trying to. Uh, their faith isn't trying to predict what God's going to do, or or dictate what's God, what God's going to do. They don't go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, like, we're gonna we're gonna call down deliverance from God, and like, we're gonna have him save us, or like, we're you know, he's gonna like bind the fire for us. They're they're kind of going into this saying, our God is more than powerful enough to deliver us from you, and if he doesn't we are also okay with that. Um, they're not trying to dictate how God solves the situation. They're just completely convicted that he is going to solve it in a way that works out to his glory. And if that involves them burning up in a fiery furnace, they're cool with that. Um, let's move on because we're almost out of time to this last section uh, where they're in the fiery fir- 19 through, uh, or sorry, 24 through the end of the chapter where they, they go into the furnace and are not burned up. What, do you, what sticks out to you in that section?
1: It was a hot
0: furnace. It was a hot furnace, yeah. They used furnaces
2: to make the bricks So they had these furnaces. They would make the bricks solid so that the mill was big.
0: Yeah. But this
1: 1,500 degrees is somewhere around here. It's not 1,000, 1,500 degrees. 1,500 degrees
2: would melt
0: glass. So it was hot. Yeah, it's very clear that this isn't like a fluke. It's not that they just like so happened to wear their fire retardant togas that day. Like, it's very clear that this is a miraculous deliverance <laughs> from. This fire. What else do you notice? Yeah, Jerry. I
1: think it's interesting. As we pointed out, he didn't, God didn't have to save them, and he could have saved him in any way. <coughs> but when we point out that Nebuchadnezzar saw a fourth person, why is that the way <coughs> he chose to do this? Of, of, didn't have to have be seen, right? I, I wonder if it's not to, again, Nebuchadnezzar keeps looking for something physical, keeps looking at statues and all of the, the things. I'm speculating,
0: but I just think it's interesting that that's the way it was changed. Yeah, yeah it's, that is interesting. I don't know if
1: I have any. Yeah, David. <laughs> With that, you kind of
2: get similar impressions like Abraham was told to sacrifice Isaac it just like, alright, got the wood, you know, alright, it's the knife. <laughs> 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 oh, what are you going to do something here? That, uh, you're about to get, they're throwing it, over. you can't help but wonder. What is going through their heads? Because, like, like Jerry said, as far as deliverance is concerned, for all they know, God could have stopped the whole captivity thing from the beginning. They're a defeated nation in the eyes of Nebuchadnezzar. And so it's like they, it's like they're not waiting. Like they're not using their logic to determine what deliverance means, which is an insane amount of faith that's almost impossible to relate with in our in our day and age. But you know, they're bound up, did
0: Yeah, that it, I like that you brought up, like, what are they, um, what's going through their heads. I do, I do wonder about that. And it's definitely kind of, I don't know, like, if I was in that situation, I imagine these guys are scared. Like, they're convicted, but they're probably also scared. Like, even if they're like, okay, this means, like, we're going to end up dying, like, and we'll die, and we'll be with God, but also burning up in a 1,500-degree fire sounds pretty painful before, before that. Crystal, do you have a comment? Uh, Yeah, they're, they're in the fire walking around. It's interesting that it also points out that they are tied up and they're still wearing their clothes, right? So they shouldn't be able to move and they're wearing stuff that should catch on fire very easily and they're just kind of in there hanging out, I guess. I don't know. What else? Yeah. Yeah.
1: the irony is everything that makes it clear that this is a miracle
0: is coming from Nebuchadnezzar, right? He's the one who says heat the furnace up seven times more. He's the one who ties them up and all these things add up to make it more plain that God is the one who is delivering them, not any kind of of human force because any human force, like his soldiers die in the process of trying to, to kill them. It's very clear through everything that Nebuchadnezzar is trying to do to make his point that God is the one in control. Yeah. What else? Maybe what kind of key takeaways do you all see? Because we've just got a few few minutes left. What kind of key takeaways do you all see uh, for us today, Michael? Do you have a comment? I mean,
1: it's all about verse 18 to me, so, but it's not because there are countless stories of martyrs of Christendom that, that didn't happen like this. You know, they did die, and those stories are just as impactful. And God is still glorified in them because of their faith, because of their conviction. So for us, we don't need to be expecting God to come through at the last minute with deliverance like this. We need to have the conviction that no matter what happens, like we're going we're to be right there with him even if we
0: can Yeah, absolutely. That this isn't this isn't a like pattern of every single time somebody's in a situation that God's going to miraculously save them. It might mean that you, metaphorically speaking, don't survive the, the furnace here. Uh, but the challenge is accepting that and accepting that God is still glorified in that. What else?
1: Yeah. Yeah. their God and protects him to do that, but he's not following, he's not changing his whole face of his nation, he's not tearing down his statue, everyone still, this wasn't wasn't enough to make him want to worship God solely or even at all, it was just, and yet in the face of such a great miracle, it couldn't be denied, You you would think that would be overwhelming
0: Yeah, I like you point out that at the end of the story, Nebuchadnezzar is like kind of starting to get it, but he still doesn't get it, get it. And that's that's a good kind of setup for chapter four because that's going to explore that more. If Nebuchadnezzar is getting all of these examples and evidence that God is in charge and not him, but he's really not wanting very much to accept that reality. Um, the last thing, one thing that stuck out to me, and this is uh, kind of one of my big takeaways from this, I like that it mentions that their hair isn't singed, uh, their clothes aren't burned, and particularly they don't even smell like fire, which to me is an image of the completeness of god 's deliverance. like they're not kind of like like scraping by and like coming out with like like smoky clothes and like as if you had just run through a burning building like they're walking out and if you've ever been to a campfire, like you smell like fire just from standing around it. These guys don't even smell like smoke. And to me, that's kind of evidence of when God delivers, he delivers us completely. You don't even smell like fire. And so I think that is uh, some powerful imagery there. Thank you all for your comments. Uh, please, if you're, you're used to sitting in the front, please uh, come, you know, take your normal, normal spots. And uh, thank you guys for your comments.